So we're, thank you, Ben, for covering for me for the last two weeks. It's, uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy being able to have some time off and be able to, and gives Ben opportunity to preach. So you covered uh, the first chapter of Titus. So we're going to start chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to cover the first 10 verses of Titus, chapter 2. Uh, I entitled it um, Sound Doctrine and Holy Living. Pretty simple. This is called meat and taters. There's, there, there's no fluff here. There's no uh, um, dessert. Uh, there's nothing to get up and shout, but it's just practical understanding. And, you know, this is the thing that we live in a culture that, and I know I've said this several times, and I'll say it again, we're, we're living in an unrestrained culture. And that is the result of two, possibly three generations of people that have not been taught to have any restraint. It's just kind of like whatever you want, whatever goes, whatever you feel like, it's okay. And with no consequences for actions. And so that, after generation, after generation, now we're well into the second, possibly even almost the third generation, where there's just no restraint. Everybody's just doing what they want. And, And lawlessness seems to be the order of the day. It seems to be the way life is. And, you know, in Homa, in South Louisiana, we are sheltered a great deal from the things that are going on uh, around the world and in the rest of the United States. Uh, we, we have, obviously, some portion of it, but we don't have the, the wanton lawlessness that is literally creeping across our nation. And I do believe there is an element uh, within our country that they desire to destroy our nation as it is, to destroy the foundations that we have as a nation, and to recreate our nation uh, in another fashion, one not based on the Constitution, one not based on what our forefathers envisioned, but they envision a socialist type of utopia. But the problem is socialism has failed everywhere it's been tried. It seemed like they can't get a hold of that. But anyway, I I drew up some questions. We're going to read through Titus chapter 2 because really this, this just talks about how we should have good solid doctrine, what that doctrine is, but then how that doctrine applies to our life, how it affects our personal life. Because if what we believe does not affect how we live, there's something wrong with what we believe. It has to impact. It's got to get from our head and our heart down to our feet and into our hands. We have to live what the Word of God says. But we're living in a culture that's saying, no, no, no. Don't do what the Word of God says. That's old-fashioned and that doesn't have anything to do with anything. So... We have to, in a sense, make sure that we hold steady. Um, and I always get the picture of a, uh, you know, a chip captain, and he's got a hold of a, uh, a wheel, at, and he's holding on tight, and the storms are battering the ship. And, he's, and the Lord is just saying, hold tight, hold steady, uh, because the truth of God's Word always pulls through no matter what. And so let's read the first 10 chapters of Titus chapter 2, and then I have some questions I want you to think tonight. I want want to ask you some questions that will get your brain thinking uh, so we can apply some of this. Verse 1, as for you, Titus, of course, this is Paul talking to Titus. As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Teach the older men to exercise self-control. Now, a lot of people wonder what older men refer to. That's anybody over 140. 
Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect, and to live wisely. They must have sound faith and to be filled with love and patience. Similarly, teach the older women. And again, that's anybody over 140, right? Okay. Uh, Teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Don't you find that's a little amazing that they mentioned that about the women and not the men? I'll explain why in just a minute. I always thought, thought that was hilarious. Instead, instead of being slanderers or heavy drinkers, instead they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. And I want you ladies to be thinking, because in a minute I want to ask you, How can you love your husbands? And how can you teach others to love your husband? Verse 5, to live wisely, to be pure, to work in their homes, to do good, to be submissive to their husbands. The feminists love that. Then they will not bring shame on the Word of God. Interestingly enough, if they don't do those things, They bring shame on the Word of God. In the same way, verse 6, encourage the young men to live wisely. And you yourself must be an example to them. He's talking to Titus, be an example to the young men, because Titus was a young man. He was probably in his mid-20s when he was given the responsibility to be over the whole island of Crete. You must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and the seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Then those who oppose us will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. Slaves must always always obey their masters, and do their best to please them. They must not talk back or steal, but to show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. And I love this phrase here. Then, and I think this applies not just to slaves and masters or employers and employees, but I think this could apply to any of these five groups. Then they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Don't you love that? Everything he calls us to do, he wants us to make Jesus attractive. That it would attract others to Christ. In other words, you should live in such a way. And here he's dealing with attitude. Talk back. Did, did did your mom and daddy let you talk back to them? Well, what happened when you talked back to your daddy? Brother Freddie, what happened when you talked back to your daddy? You don't even want to talk about it? Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't pretty. Yeah. You just, you know, daddies usually used to put such fear of God that you just don't do it. And if you did do it, You learn real quickly the consequences, and you never did it again. But everything we do in our attitude should make Jesus attractive. And that that didn't just apply to slaves and masters. And obviously, if we're going to apply that uh, to our life, it really applies in the sense of an employer and employee. You know, and and I said this before, this in no way was putting an approval on slavery. He was just dealing with what was. That's the way life was there. And a slave, um, a bond servant, uh, would indebt themselves to an individual for a certain amount of money. And then you would have to work out uh, your debt over a certain amount of years. You would say, okay, I'm going to be your slave. I'm going to be your servant for five years, 10 years, 15 years for this amount of money. And then you would work that debt off for that amount of time, and then you would be free. Uh, then you could be released. And, of course, then if the 50 years um, came, then they would be set free from the Jubilee. But then even every seven years, you couldn't 
structure your debts to be over seven years because at the end of seven years, they were released. So you had to structure your debt uh, and your indentured slaves or uh, servants to a seven-year period. So anyway, I want to ask some questions uh, about all of these. Uh, The first one, and that is, how can we best impact the culture around us for Jesus? I want you to think about that just for a minute. We're living in a culture that uh, is going down the tube. (laughs) It's struggling. So, and, and here, I know he's giving us all kinds of instructions about things we should do, but I just want to in, in, encourage you to think for a moment, how can we best impact the culture around us? What's the best thing we can do? And there's probably not a right or wrong answer here. Uh, there are several answers. Ben, what do you think? Okay. To model, to live uh, the Christ-like life. Uh, certainly... Uh, we've had a lot of people who have said they don't want to come to Christ because of the hypocrites and because of people who have not lived what they said. And that's just the way it is. But you can't let that stop you from being a part of the church just because people live hypocritically because, you know, hypocrites are everywhere. Uh, That's just a reality of life. But I think, yeah, number one, modeling it, living an example. How else can we impact our culture? Anybody? Say that again real loud. To love people like Jesus loved them. And that means for me, from my understanding, when I say that, it means that I love them despite the way they live, despite how they act, despite how they smell, despite the bad cho- And here's the problem. So many times people make terrible choices and we want not to love them because they don't make good choices. But the problem is, is that people who have made terrible choices need, desperately need people to love them. And you don't love them because they made bad choices. You love them because Christ loved them. And it might give us the opportunity, if we will love them the way Jesus loved them, then it will give us hopefully an opportunity to tell them how they can make better choices, how they can live a different kind of life. And Jesus did not, he told us this, he said, I didn't come to condemn the world, I came to save the world. His job was not to condemn us. You know, the Holy Spirit will bring conviction. He will convict us. But our job, and I I do agree with that, modeling Living example, but loving people the way Jesus did. Freddie? Okay, there we go. Starts right in our own home. Uh, If we cannot live the Christ-like life before our own family, you will have no impact (laughs) in the world around you. I agree. Starts in the home. Everything starts in the home. I agree with that 100%. What else? How else can we impact the culture around us? Okay. I like that. What else? Barry? What's... By the way we speak, okay, by the way we speak, yes. Okay. So we can, and here's the thing, if we're going to talk to people about the Bible and about Jesus, you have to remember we're fishermen, we're not hunters, 
There's a reason why he said, I want to make you fishers of men. If you're a hunter, you walk up to them and, you going to hell. you full of sin. But if we're fishermen, we're, just, you know how you're doing them redfish? You just, a little bit, just a little bit, you know. How have you been doing? What, what What's going on in your life? Is there anything I can pray for you about? Ooh, and, and right there, if their antennas go out and there's, you know, they give you a dirty look, to you, you know, oh, reel that thing, baby. That, that wasn't right. But so I agree, we need to teach the Bible. We need to speak the Word of God. We need to teach about Jesus. But... You've got to make, yeah, slowly. You've got to make sure they're hungry. You've got to make sure they're nibbling and biting. And then at some point, they'll bite. And you can tell they're hungry. And that's when you set the hook. That's when you begin to tell them, let me tell you about what Jesus did in my life. Let me tell you how Jesus impacted my life. I'm a different person. Yes, And you know what's interesting is that we're all so busy with our phones that we very rarely want to spend time talking with anybody. We very rarely want to find out anything about their life, what's going on with their life. You know, phones are a wonderful thing for some things, but... I'm, I'm seeing more and more how it's, it's a thief. It's stealing our opportunities to tell people about Jesus. And, and like you say, it's, it's just that one-on-one, look them in the eye. How you doing? Anything going on in your life I can pray with you about. So I think that witnessing, that sharing is one-on-one, but you've got to lay other things down. Um, and, and it's so important. Uh, we, we've got to discipline. God's people have to discipline themselves in how we handle all this technology. Because if we're walking around mesmerized by our phones, just like everybody else is, uh, there's nobody looking up. <laughs> we're all falling into the hole. Penny? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Ephesians says, let your speech be seasoned with grace. It's exactly right. It's exactly right. Anybody else? How can we impact the culture around us? And I know, you know, there's not a right or wrong answer here, but I'm hoping you're listening and thinking about ways you, not somebody else, but ways you can impact life. Yes. Morrison? What? Pray. (laughs) Absolutely. It's amazing how prayer can make such an amazing difference. Uh, if you have somebody, let's say you witness to somebody and they're not interested at all, they brush you off and now uh, they, you know, leave me alone. It's amazing if you will begin to pray for that person, how God can soften their heart. Soften their heart and open their heart. And soon you will find their hearts will be open to the gospel. So if you get a closed door, if you get a sh- uh, people who are not interested pray and you know the difficult thing about prayer is we pray and we don't see a result immediately and so we stop praying and we think prayer has not made a difference 
but there's a time difference in sending that thing up into heaven and it coming down and making an impact. So we have to pray and believe. Yes, Nadine? Yeah. Yeah, you know, every mission trip we make is denying yourself and going into an area to minister to people. Every outreach we have, you know, the, we're about going to do the pumpkin patch again. I heard Tina back there coming coming up in October. Um, but you know, a lot of the pumpkin patch is denying yourself. And by that, you deny what you could do with your time and your money. And instead, you're investing it into the lives of people. When we did our Easter outreach, uh, and, and people stood out there and, and they did the cross scene and, and, and ministered to people. And then they went back there and got a million eggs uh, you know, it, it's a lot of outreach is about denying yourself, self-sacrifice, denying yourself. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. Hey, Tina, I see that hand up. Come on now. And this is the way we impact our culture. So there's the one-on-one we talked about. There's the modeling. There's the praying. But then there's also the outreaches that we can be involved in, whether it's a mission trip out in the world and the mission field, or it's a local mission field where we're doing pumpkin patches and Easter outreaches and things like that. It's still reaching out and saying we want to impact the culture the people around us, and just loving on them. It's amazing how many people just need somebody to love on them. Something else, Nadine? All right, go for it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Ministering to their physical needs. We do a lot of that. And that sometimes that touches their heart and says, well, if the church cares about that, uh, maybe I'll listen to them about the spiritual aspect, you know. Their belly is hungry. <laughs> you know, they're not really interested in hearing about Jesus until they're fed. So a lot, lot of areas that we can minister to people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, when we, when we do the House of Hope, a lot of homeless people, a lot of hurting people over there that we can minister to and that we do minister to. 
uh, that, that helped them. Dennis? Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And ultimately, the Holy Spirit is the orchestra leader. <laughs> He's the one speaking to this person and that person and this one. And, you know, here's the good news. Everything he tells Freddie to do is not what he tells you to do. And what he tells Ben to do is not what he tells my wife to do. And, and what he tells Brother Charlie to do is not going to be what he, what he tells Troy to do. And, and the Holy Spirit is the director. He's the orchestra leader. And that's why we all have to say, Holy Spirit, use me, lead me, direct me. And Lord, more than anything else, I want to be obedient to what your Holy Spirit is saying. And then the whole thing comes together that the body of Christ is exalted and Jesus is exalted and people are drawn to the name of Jesus. It's amazing. You know, it's just just being obedient, but you can't be focused on you. You've got to be focused on Holy Spirit. What do you want me to do? And this kind of goes along with what the second question I ask. We've kind of answered it ourselves, but I'll ask it anyway. What are the greatest challenges that we face when we're impacting our culture. We've talked about a lot of ways we impact our culture, but what are some of our greatest things that we that we face that are going to challenge us? Anybody? Yes. Boy, that's the truth. I mean, people are busy, 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 busy. Yeah, everybody's got... It's amazing how people have got time for every kind of thing except God's things. It's amazing. But you're right. People are busy, and, and we've got, if, we, if we do any kind of outreach or any kind of personal witnessing or anything, you're right. There's a lot to compete with. Because the world is dangling the bait out there, uh, and it's competing uh, for everything that we want to tell them about Jesus. They want to dangle in front of them things that the enemy wants them to fall with any other challenges i know there are a lot but anything um what what what's if you look at these five areas there was the older men younger men older ladies younger women and then slaves and employers five basic groups can you give me a common thread and you, you kind of instead of looking for specific words what was there a common denominator, common thread that he was trying to address in each of these? First, what? Live in a way that's honorable? Okay, yes. Okay, Penny? Okay, I like that. Yeah, giving and receiving. Freddie? Discipleship. Okay. Nadine? Obedience. Yeah? Yes. Sound faith. Sound doctrine. Barry? Be an example. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me give my own word, and that is respectable. It kind of... It's talking about, but sound doctrine, sound living, holy living, but be respectable, be decent, be nice, <laughs> stop being so mean. Uh, you know, one of the verses, I'm trying to remember which one it is, it's where it talks about the uh, the ladies, can we bring uh, the passage? Um, yeah, yeah, four, there we go. Um, verse three. Similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others. You know what the word slander there is? It's the Greek word diablos. If you recognize that. That's devil. 
So put in the context of that. Don't let your speech be devilish. Don't let your speech be in such a way that you're being used by the devil to hear gossip and spread gossip. And then I told you I'd say, why in the world did he tell the ladies not to be heavy drinkers? What was amazing? Now this, you have to, I don't know if you know Crete is, it's an island. It's a big island. It's isolated off the Mediterranean coast. And a unique history of Crete was that it was considered to be respectable if you could hold your liquor. If you could drink more than others, you were considered honorable. And it even began to impact the women. And there was actually a teaching that came in, false teaching, and and it was encouraging people to be heavy drinkers. And you can just kind of imagine, you know, I'm thinking, you know, what the, all the ladies were a bunch of drunkards or something. I don't know. But he felt it was important enough to say, but it still goes back to be respectable, be decent. And you, you don't need to be a slanderer a diablos with your words, and you don't need to listen to the culture around you that tells you it's wonderful to drink a lot. But instead, you know, consider what you're, what is appropriate in your way of life. And then older women must train the younger women to love their husbands as their children. Keep going. Verse 5, to live wisely, to be pure. The word pure there probably is in reference to being sexually pure, uh, to work in their homes. And, you know, I know the feminists would probably get a hold of this and have a fit and say, oh, I was telling the women they can't work. Hey, they work in the home, they're working. <laughs> and there really was no work for women outside of their homes. This, if you weren't, if you were a woman, you had a, a husband, you had a husband and you had children and you worked in your home. That was just the way it was. Uh, and, you know, we live in a culture today where there are lots of single women. Well, in this culture, there were hardly no single women. If you were marriageable age, you were married. The only time you were a single woman was if your husband died. And that was just about it. So he's addressing married young women and saying, you need to be pure. Be faithful to your husband. Um, and then to be submissive. And that kind of brings up that whole idea. I think one of my questions has to do... Um, no, okay. We'll, 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 I don't, I'm getting ahead of myself. Number four was how do, how do we live a life that is self-controlled? Because that's one of the words that he's mentioned, several of them. How, how do you be self-controlled? Say that again. By the way we talk. And what we say with our lips is determined by what? Proverbs 23, 7. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And then uh, what's Philippians chapter 4? Let me read that. I don't think I have that on the overhead, but Philippians chapter 4 says, and now it's in Philippians 4, 8, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learn and receive from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the peace of God will be with you. If you think about things that are lovely and pure and right, then you will be able to hear from God and you will know God's plan for your life and you will have the peace of God. A lot of people wonder why they don't have the peace of God, but what do you think about? 
If you're thinking about impure things, reading impure things, putting into your computer up here impure thoughts, then no wonder you don't have the peace of God. And we will never impact our culture if we don't act right and we act based upon what we think. And again, thinking, you know, if you haven't stopped watching your news, it would be a good time to stop watching news. We have determined uh, that that is a good thing to X out of our life. I, I can't determine any of it that's real or, or true. So uh, we watch MASH or something like that, some re- crazy recorded thing or I Love Raymond or some, 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 something that's reality versus uh, listening to the, to the news uh, because it pollutes your mind. Pollutes your mind. It's amazing. Anybody else? How can we be self-controlled? Because that seems to be a, another common theme. Yes, Ed? Okay. Okay. Yeah. So what's your eye? Your eyes are the periscope into your heart. And if you see things that are impure, no wonder our heart is going to be impure. So watch what goes. I love where he says in the book of Job, he said, I made a covenant with my eyes. I will not look upon a woman with lust in my heart. Made a covenant with my eyes. Put a blinders on my eyes, Lord. I will not look at the wrong thing. I will not look at the wrong person. Because if you do, if you look at impure things, pornography, it's going to pollute your heart. And it will impact you. Diane, you had something else? Yes. Yeah. And that implies, self-control implies discipline. And I love what it says there in Timothy, that we run with a purpose. There's a reason. We have a destined destination. We have a destiny. We have a calling. We have a purpose in what we're doing. And everything should be focused on that set purpose. Yes. Penny again? Yeah. Okay. I like that. That's going to help us be self-controlled. We let the Word of God. Uh, Freddie? And if we are not faithful in the levels of a responsibility that are given to us, we shouldn't be surprised if God doesn't give us more. Would you agree with that? If you won't be faithful in what God gives you, and, and you know, somebody may say, well, I want big responsibility. Well, maybe God is waiting for you to be faithful in the small areas, just in these areas here. And then God is ready to trust you with greater areas of responsibility. And I, I hear people all the time, they, they want greater and bigger and more, and even in finances. We want more finances. Well, have you been a good steward of the finances God has blessed you with to prove that you would be a good steward of greater? So being a good steward, I like that, Freddie. Being a steward of what responsibility God has given you will help us to to live a self-discipline or self-control life. Anybody else? Somebody else had their hand. Yes, Charlotte? Yeah. Yeah, I I like that. Yeah, because if it's self-controlled, then you're going to have to... Life cannot be about you. It's not about what I want. It's about what he wants. I like that. 
You're going to have to deny self. You're going to have to give that up. Yes. Yeah, you know, and respect is not something that's taught a whole lot. Uh, and again, I, I'm I'm from a different generation, but my daddy, hopefully your daddy and mama, taught you to be respectful. And you're respectful not based upon um, whether you think that person is right all the time but because you honor the place and the position that that person has. And sometimes it's the office or the position. And in a minute, you know, we talk about being submissive, being submissive to your husbands. You know, there's nothing about being submissive that infers superiority or inferiority. It has all to do with the acceptance of the place that God has given you. That's all it is. It's just accepting. If you're a husband, God has given you an area of responsibility. You need to own up to that responsibility, answer that responsibility, and walk in that responsibility. If God has placed you as a wife and a mother, then you need to live and accept that level of responsibility that God has you. It has nothing to do with higher, lower, better, worse. It's just this is where God has established. And so you honor and respect what God has done because, hey, he knows best. So all these things are so important. Yeah, I think you had your hand up. Yeah, brother. Okay, humble. And and I would agree with that because... It's kind of just like what they said before. If you're all full of self, it's hard. It's going to be hard to live a self-controlled life. It's all if if you're, but if you humble yourself, then you're, you know, to humble yourself is the acknowledgement of who God is in your life, and the also the acknowledgement of who we are. There's two sides of humility. You know, you're not humble just because you say, I humble myself. (laughs) That's easy to say. Humble yourself is to acknowledge the greatness and position of God and to accept our position as subservient to him. That he is God, we are not God. And therefore, you humble yourself to him and say, Lord, your will and not my will. And, and, you know, when we don't get answered prayer like we want to, and we humble ourselves and say, Lord, this is about you, not about me. Sometimes we want God to answer our prayer. We want God to do what we want him to do. But God has, I've learned God has a way with the way he answers prayer, he can direct us. He can mold us and direct us. And so... Sometimes when a prayer is not answered, we kind of beat on the door because we're trying to get God's attention. God, you need to listen. I need you to do this. And we say a little louder. But, you know, maybe the no is God's way of saying, I want you to ask something different. I want you to come at this a little differently. I want you to see this a little differently. God has a way of changing our heart if we will listen and humble ourselves. I like that. Okay, we kind of, I talked a little bit about, um, well, we we didn't mention older women should teach younger, older men should teach younger men, older women should teach younger women, and we talk about how can we best accomplish this, and I'd just like to say, you know, mentoring programs are great, but you know, a lot of mentoring goes on just one-on-one. Just and, and I've always believed this. Find out and identify the people who are listening to you. Think about that. Find out and identify who is listening to you. And then once you've identified that, then pour into their life. There's a lot of mentoring and helping 
young men or young women before church on Sunday morning or during prayer time or during the fellowship time or at home groups. There are a lot of mentoring can go on, just one-on-one, just talking with people and helping people. And, just, and when you identify people who will listen to you, then speak into their life. Just speak, help them, pour into their life. Uh, everything that, that you can, just pour into their life. So good. God's ways are so good. And we kind of talked about, anybody else want to give me your best understanding of what does it mean to be submissive to your husbands? I need some ladies to talk to me here. Ladies, what does it mean to be submissive to your husbands? The lady down in front? Ma'am? It means that there is, uh, in the home, there's one authority. There's a final authority. The woman has influence and she contributes to the family. But the final decision has to come down to somebody. And most of the time, it's the husband. If you're picking out a new couch, it might be the wife that has to pick it out. <laughs> but most of the time, it's, it's the husband. Yeah. And what happens if the wife decides she don't, doesn't want to listen to her husband and the husband is saying this and the wife says, absolutely not. We ain't doing that. What happens? <laughs> I'm listening to the authority right here. Yeah, that's true. You know, there's some things, absolutely not, that does not come in this house. But we don't have that problem because we agree with our, our, about all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But there are times you have to say, absolutely not. Yeah. There will be none of that. I, I think the submissive role of the wife has a lot to do with the husband's willing to be submissive to, to the Lord. Now, if a husband is submitted to the Lord, he's going to be kind and gentle and loving and want to listen to the input of his wife. But if he's all hung up with authority and power and telling people what to do, then she's going to have a real hard time with submission. So it is a, it is a give and take. You know, and we... You know, my wife knows that I am the final authority and that I, I am the husband who gives direction and leadership to our home. But, you know, we talk about everything. And I'm always looking for input. What do you think about this? How do you think about this? What do you, you know, I want her input. And so many times, if you'll talk it out, you'll come to an agreement about what is the right thing to do. Ever once in a while. There will be a time where the husband needs to make the decision and, and, and maybe it's, we're not in a complete agreement, but I still feel like that's the thing we need to do. You know, in times like that, if the wife will honor her husband and honor God by honoring her husband, God will take care of you. And, and in a real sense, when you honor your husband, you're honoring God and the place that God put her. And put him. And if you resist him, then you're resisting the authority that God has established. And it won't go well. But this is where husbands, you know, we have to talk. We have to communicate. And lots of input. And the longer you get married, the longer you are married, the more you learn to come to an agreement without one says, this is what we're going to do. That really rarely happens in our life. You know, we've been married over 40 years. We celebrate our 40th anniversary last January uh, and coming up on 41 this next January. 
And the older you get, the more years you've had behind you, the more you learn how to work those things out. You, you learn how to have input. And I value, I've learned to value my wife's input. And it doesn't mean I'm Mr. Super Authority. And it doesn't also mean I'm always right. This is where you say amen. Because <laughs> no, husbands are not always right. That's just the reality of it. But if we'll listen and honor God, God will bless us. He really will. Anybody else? Anything else about this uh, This whole... It's just ten verses, yes, Nadine? Amen. And you're modeling for your children what husbands and wives should be. I asked a question a minute ago, and I said I was going to ask the ladies, how do you teach your children to love your husband? Because the thing of it is, is that you teach your children how to love by letting them watch how you love your husband. Again, you're modeling it. And believe me, your kids are watching. <laughs> you know, if mama doesn't love daddy or daddy doesn't love mama, they they see it, they know it, they pick up on it. And you can smile and say, I love her. But if you don't treat her with love and respect, then they know you don't really love her or you're not acting like it. So model your love for one another for your kids' sake. Because that's going to be the way your kids are going to treat their husband or their wife. Sound doctrine. Holy living. It's the way we are going to impact our culture. And everything that we said tonight makes a difference. I would like for us to pray tonight that God would help us to impact our culture. Why don't you stand to your feet? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we just lift up our hands to you tonight and we say, Lord, we want to impact the culture, the people, the hurting people around us in the name of Jesus. Lord, we want to make Jesus attractive. We want to love people so much that they will fall in love with you. We want to love each other so much that people will want the kind of love that we display. And Lord, help us. Help us, Lord. Sometimes we mess up. Sometimes we lose it. Sometimes we get our mouth ahead of our heart and we say all kinds of things we shouldn't. Lord, help us. Help us to live the, the gospel that you put in our heart. Help us to do that, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.